name is Mark Iskowitz. I'm editor-at-large for MMM, and I'm super excited to be part of today's sponsored podcast with 81QD. Here with me today are Daniel Laskevich, EVP of Healthcare Analytics, and Andrea Schatz-Anderer, EVP Strategy and Insights at 81QD. We're going to be chatting about applying human intelligence to AI-driven data analytics to fuel growth for client brands. We'll delve into how 81QD leverages real-world data, artificial intelligence, and a third type of insight, human intelligence, to help biopharma companies identify those healthcare providers linked to brand success. Hello, Daniel and Andrea, and uh, great to have you both here. Thanks for having us, Mark. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. So, you know, leveraging the first two of those data sources that I just mentioned, real-world data and AI, is important. But combining those with HI, human intelligence, is paramount. And uh, Daniel and Andrea, you're going to help us understand why. Uh, So let's begin with our first question. What is human intelligence and why do I need it? Well, as we define it, human intelligence represents our longstanding expertise in the biopharmaceutical space, which drives all our analytics. Without the human element, our models, our metrics would lose their foundation required for a successful project. While one might think all drugs in a class or disease are equal, no client need is ever the same and no strategy can fit all brands. In the same vein, no one data set or analytical tool will identify all the healthcare providers that are needed to support a client's brand. This is why we take a holistic approach and leverage human intelligence to find all relevant influencers, from academic leaders to those community-based regional experts who really drive the uptake of our clients' brands. Our approach not only uses a wide variety of AI-based models, but also a variety of different data sets. Yeah, and if I may just add to what Daniel just mentioned, picking the right data sources and how to use them is also part of the human intelligence that we deploy and that sets us apart from some of our competitors. We have indeed access to very diverse data sources. Some of them are in the public domain and others are proprietary. But if we really want to classify them, we look at truly four different data buckets. Academic data, uh, clinical, which Daniel already mentioned a little bit, but that is really based on anonymized patient level data and HCPs who treat these patients. Social and digital, which is anything that is online these days, Uh, but also data related to CMS open payment data. And obviously within those four categories, there are subsets. And we truly determine which data sets to use based on our clients' business needs. So we do not think that one size fits all. Rather, we adjust the data sources based on what our clients are trying to accomplish. So are they trying to find individuals who would be great for clinical trials? Are they trying to find individuals who can become advocates for the brand, et cetera? And that's actually one of the reasons why we shy away from offering syndicated data sets and why we really go into this and look at bespoke data models and trying to find the right data for the tasks at hand. Sure, sure. When, when you're making projections, you know, it's really um, critical that, uh, you know, you base it on actual data, AI modeling rather than, say, survey data. And we'll get into some of those other types of data uh, that Andrew just mentioned. But uh, next question for you, Daniel, is what is the first step in leveraging these different data sources? Well, the volume and the diversity of biomedical and healthcare data are growing at an ever-increasing rate. In order to leverage these data, it is important to reliably ingest and store these data for future use. Whether the data be acquired through publicly available sources that Andrea mentioned, like Twitter, CMS Sunshine, or NPPES databases, or whether they're through in-licensed data sources, such as EMR data, social determinants of health data, 
as well as open and closed claims. The ingestion is the first part. And while the ingestion of data, even in mass, has been solved, the integration and blending of disparate data sources is really where the magic happens. As an example, mapping data between PubMed for publications, closed claims data to better understand a clinician's behavior, as well as their online social sources have no unique identifier for blending all of these different data pieces. This is where we leverage AI, and even more importantly, HI, to ensure that our data are blended accurately and broadly integrated for use by our clients and in our models. Once we have these building blocks, we can then begin to leverage these data to find the right influencers for a given project. Mm -hmm. Thanks for taking us through the mechanics there. Um, of how you blend the data together. Let's shift gears for a second and talk about your business goals. Andrew, why is the identification of traditional KOLs still important? Great question, Mark. The traditional KOLs are often associated with being academic KOLs. Um, they are the ones who publish, sit on guidelines, speak at national conferences, and are in leadership position of national and, and, and global associations. In other words, they are the ones who are heard and seen, right? But just how important they can be shows a recent study survey. A well-known American management consulting company just published that survey, and it focused on the influence different factors have on HCP prescribing. And it was actually a global survey. In, in that survey, they asked HCPs in the UK and in Germany, which criteria are important when prescribing a drug? While 85% certainly referred to the authoritative bodies and the guidelines, 58% actually referred to KOLs as one of the most important criteria when to prescribe a particular drug. And similar in the US, a study of 110 physicians found that 65%, so almost two thirds, um, that opinion leaders who advocate for a product are a very important factor driving their own decision to prescribe. So for that particular reason, we find that KOLs, the traditional KOLs or academic KOLs are still quite important. Yeah, those are, those are some eye-popping numbers there in terms of uh, the influence of KOLs uh, to, to other doctors. Daniel, how are claims data driving marketing efforts for biopharma products? So Mark, this is where I get really excited as an, as an ex-research uh, scientist. I feel that this is really becoming the start of the golden age of claims data and the use of AI. While highly granular patient level claims data have been available for the last decade or so, it has remained in the hands of the few. Claims data were inordinately expensive and only the most well-funded brands could afford to use these data sets. Since claims data has become more, even more democratized, we can now deliver AI models to a wide variety of small and medium biopharmaceutical companies. No longer is the expense of claims data driving the cost of AI. It is now becoming accessible to all our clients to solve all of their business challenges. For example, one client is launching a novel class of therapy into a chronic disease where they will have a tiny share of voice. How do you get uptake by the masses? Well, you can leverage the contagion effect and identify those HCPs who have clinical influence, those that have been shown through AI modeling to change the behaviors of other clinicians in their networks. Another client is trying to identify yet to be diagnosed patients in a rare disease. How do you effectively target those HCPs with the right patients? You use AI to determine where those patients are and who is treating them. Then use clinical influence mapping to drive those patients to those HCPs who can give an accurate diagnosis and proper treatment strategy. 
And these are examples that a number of years ago, we would be unable to potentially support due to the large cost of not only the, the AI, but also acquiring the claims data needed for these analyses. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting point about the democratization of claims data. If I may ask, Daniel, where, where do you source that kind of thing from? Is that from like third party, all payer claims data sets, that kind of thing? I think that's a great way to, to think about claims data, Mark. So when we think about data, we often use claims data to be an all-encompassing nebulous term. But actually, there are a number of different types of data that we leverage internally to produce the right analytics for the right project. We currently have both open and closed claims data sets at our disposal. This allows us to do different things for different projects allows us to leverage open claims data for when we need the greatest amount of coverage and close claims data when we need the highest quality of data. In addition, we leverage an integrated EMR data set to provide an even richer content, including lab results and even more granular patient information. Lastly, importantly, all of these data sets are integrated and even integrated with consumer data or social determinants of health data that allows us to better define a patient and their household. These data are becoming even more important as our biopharmaceutical clients have been tasked to broaden the patient populations in their clinical trials and thus increase overall diversity. Okay, thank you for answering that. So how do you leverage digital and social data, Andrea? Well, I I think we all agree that uh, the COVID pandemic has certainly amplified the importance of online presence, Uh, you know, whether it's through digital channels or through social media. But it's not just about finding the HCPs or even patient advocates who are active in these channels, whether it's in the US, US or globally, but to really learn more about them. So we are able to programmatically mine different sources. But then again, human intelligence is really important, looking at like how active are individuals is there anything in the individual's profile that our client should know about? I say that because the large majority of HCPs who are on Twitter use social media not only for professional, but also for personal purposes. And we want to ensure that our clients are comfortable with what these digital thought leaders represent. Is there anything in their tweets that anybody could take offense to or that the client is just not comfortable with? 99% of the time, it's not an issue, but it's something to consider. And, and so, again, we overlay human intelligence. We don't just kick out the data. We actually look at these individuals. Also, we're taking a look at like, you know, the individuals that we identify, do they prefer one medium over another? And who is in their network? other HCPs following them or even associations and other followers all around the globe or are they limited to their country or even their region? And then we also look at like their online behavior. What do they actually do online? Do they present or create new content or are they simply amplifying what others are saying, for instance, through retweeting? Or do they voice original opinions? Based on their behavior, our clients may also want to engage with them differently. And Ultimately, what we also take a look at is what are they actually saying? What kind of sentiment are they expressing vis-a-vis, you know, our clients' brands as well as competitive brands? And all of that obviously is done programmatically, but at the very end of the day, you need to have human intelligence to really take a closer look, look at the context in that something is being said and really put it into perspective. Sure, sure. And that's a really good point, Andrea, about the importance of brand safety, as we as we say, what are 
digital thought leaders most associated with in their personal uh, social media yeah. lives that brands may be um, you know, a little hesitant uh, to, to associate with. So again, the, underscoring the importance of the human intelligence factor. Uh, let's switch gears uh, for a second again and talk about CMS Sunshine payment data. Daniel, how, do, how does that kind of data fit into the identification? Publicly available data like CMS Sunshine payments continues to remain a hidden treasure trove to profile our influencers. And even our most astute clients still don't know what's actually in there. While everyone looks at the big numbers, how many dollars did Dr. Jones get last year? How many consulting activities did Dr. Smith do? It is really the granularity of these data that allows for more intricate analytics. We have developed strategies to connect HCPs who have participated in the same consulting activities, or where one is an audience member in another speaking engagement. These are highly relevant and powerful data that would otherwise have remained buried from our clients. The incorporation of HI in this challenge allowed us to leverage both our knowledge of data, as well as the biopharmaceutical marketing landscape to truly identify these important connections among key HCPs. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by you know your use of uh, Sunshine data. I wasn't aware that publicly available data, you know, was being leveraged to that extent. Uh, so that's really interesting. Does your approach to finding the right experts depend on the brand's life cycle, Andrea? Great question, Mark. And yes, it does. I mean, we have different data sets and AI models that we already touched upon. For those reasons, we're able to identify a very diverse group of experts who are appropriate for all brands at different time points. For instance, if we have a client who does not yet have a product in the market at all, maybe their asset is in phase two development, they may not at this point in time need digital leaders or anybody who's very active on social media, but we would take a closer look at like, okay, who are the individuals involved in clinical trials and, and look at sunshine data. We may also look at academic data, looking at who can really help them to develop their product further. You know, how do they want to engage with somebody maybe on steering committee as clinical trials or advisory board or anything like that? So that's certainly one, uh, one data set. We may look at a brand that's just about to launch. Daniel already talked about those clinical leaders, those who really impact care outside of their own practice. And those clinical leaders influence how other HCPs are practicing. So they will certainly help in driving product adoption. Uh, so an entirely different approach, entirely different data set that we would use to identify those clinical leaders. There we would really look for claims-based data sets, uh, et cetera, and, and, and analyze those and, and use an algorithm for that. Or we have a very mature brand, and there we may want to look for a mix of leaders to ultimately blunt the competition and maintain share of voice. So a mix of like what we call people who have a strong academic profile, others who are very strong clinically, but also those who can really work with us on digital channels and so forth. So by all means, we really think that we are looking at different data sources and different types of experts, depending on a brand's life cycle. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I mean, this discussion really points to what appears to be a renaissance, if you will, in the use of health data from claims to online behavioral data to EMRs and sunshine reporting to support biopharma brands and ultimately improve outcomes. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast with Daniel and Andrea. For those who have questions, where can they contact you both? The best way to reach us is send an email to info at 81qd.com. Super. Okay, well, to that end, let's have another conversation as the use of healthcare claims data and AI modeling becomes even more robust. 
Daniel Leskevich and Andrea Schatz-Anderer of 81QD. It was a terrific conversation. Many thanks for listening. Come back for another one. This is Mark Iskowitz for the MMNM Podcast. Take care.